Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yes, today, the future of healthcare. I've done four four um, subjects like this. The future of healthcare immune system is today, and I, because we're looking at uh, a world where the current healthcare structure is crazy. I mean, doctors are the leading cause of death and illness. Medications, which uh, if you look at every TV advertisement, 70% of all TV advertisements are for uh, a chemical to alter your physiology. Now, we're dulled into the um, thought process that this is normal. <laughs> Maybe normal for our age. But uh, we're looking at a sickening of our society. So let's take this step back. You know, what, what are they going to do in 500 years? And, and just, just imagine it. What was 500 years before? Well, granted, 500 years before, uh, you're talking uh, 60 million Native Americans. You're talking living in basic harmony with the world. Uh, amazing. You know, Columbus had just... Uh, uh, miss, miss a, um, his misadventure, he thought he was in India, but he was actually discovered in North America, or one of the discoverers, as long as you should wipe out the old Vikings that discovered it. Okay, so, so 500 years ago, they were looking at disease from sin and evil spirits. They were looking um, not as causative factors of stress, um, nutrition, diet. And so we're learning a little bit more about how the immune system works, but we're changing um, our physiology with chemicals and with interventions. Now, is this a benefit? Uh, see, when we're looking at our interventions now in healthcare, um, are we extending life? Are we getting healthier, longer uh, life, uh, more vitality, more energy? Uh, well, let's look at this. For one, um, we're going to look at three different aspects of the immune system. Innate immunity. This is stuff you're born with. Okay, and this is um, what, what your mom went through and your dad went through. Now, this is interesting because we're doing interventions to our immune system. And we're seeing a mother with lots of interventions, mate with a father with lots of interventions. And we're seeing the children come out um, with more challenges. Now, let's look at adaptive immunity. Now, this is something that, that we develop as we go through. So as we're exposed to different pathogens, we develop an immune system response to this. And this is fantastic. So like if you get a common cold, there's thousands of different um, pathogens that can cause that. And developing an antibody response, an immune system, cellular and humoral response, um, brilliant. That's um how, how you, you're designed to thrive on this planet. And then passive immunity, this is where a baby would receive antibodies from the mother. Uh, the challenge is the mother has to be exposed to certain pathogens. Now, when we look at immunity, let's look at Gary Fathom, MD, Professor of Immunology and Rheumatology, Associate Director for the Institute of Immunology. Now, this guy's brilliant. But listen to this. If a patient were to ask me, how is my immune system doing today? I would have no idea how to answer that, and I'm an immunologist. None of us can. Right now, we're still doing the same test that I did when I was a medical student in the late 60s. We can perturb the immune system with all kinds of different ways, measure the levels of hundreds or thousands of different 
things in response to um, that and figure out what goes up and down in different states of health and non-health. Anything might affect the system. A vaccine, disease, a drug can tell you something. Uh, when we look at Dr. Mark Davis, now this is Chair Stanford University School of Medicine, Microbiology and Immunology. Quote, it's staggeringly complex, comprising 15 different interacting cells spewing dozens of molecules into the blood to commun one, uh, communicate with one another and to do battle. Um, age, exercise, infection, vaccination, diet, stress, you name it. Um, that's an awful lot of moving parts, and we don't really know what the vast majority of them do or should be doing. We can't even tell and be sure how to tell if the immune system is working or not working, let alone why not. Uh, we don't have good metrics of what a healthy immune system looks like. Um, that's huge. Then we look at Dr. David Sackett. I mean, brilliant guy. And this is the father of evidence-based medicine. Quote, half of what you'll learn in medical school will be shown to be either dead wrong or out of date within five years of graduation. The trouble is no one can tell you which half. So the most important thing you could learn is to how to learn on your own. Absolutely. Dr. Sackett, I'm with you, buddy. Um, so let's look at this. We know that the immune system is staggeringly complex. It's uh, designed to, you get some of it from your parents, you get some of it from the environment, you get some of it innately. Um, we don't know how it works, but it's designed to keep you alive and thriving on this. We know that, that medical science is constantly evolving and constantly adapting. So when we're looking at this adaptation and evolution of our knowledge base, we're learning at how the best system works. Uh, so now, as of 2015, the New England Journal of Medicine, they said the annual physical is outdated. It can result in a battery of unnecessary tests, ineffective at preventing disease, and unnecessary in processing and exams. Physicals make sense in theory, but hasn't borne in reality. And there's an inverse relationship between money spent on healthcare and wellness. So that means the entire medical system, the more money you spend in it, the sicker you get. And even when we look at the institutional corruption of pharmaceutical and the myth of safe and effective drugs, the pharmaceutical industry has corrupted the practice of medicine through its influence over what drugs are developed and how they are tested and how medical knowledge is created. So now when we're looking at the future, think of this. I want you to think 500 years in the future. 500 years. Do you think that they're just going to have better drug surgery and vaccines? Or do you think we're going to be working with the body? Well, let's look at a journal article published in 2008 called Medication-Induced Mitochondrial Damage and Disease. Now, mitochondrial dysfunction, now these are the powerhouses of the cells. And, you know, obviously they're just now learning. But imagine if you knew that mitochondrial damage was linked to schizophrenia, bipolar disease, dementia, Alzheimer's, epilepsy, headaches, strokes, Parkinson's, uh, transient ischemic attacks, cardiomyopathy, coronary disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, hepatitis C, cirrhosis. All of these conditions can be linked to mitochondrial damage. So it, this should be like mind-blowing to say, 
wow, if all of these different conditions can be from one type of dysfunction, why are we treating these different conditions? Plus, when you look at um, the causative factors of schizophrenia, bipolar, Alzheimer's, epilepsy, migraines, um, Parkinson's, you look at the causative factors of those, they say it's unknown. And that's the medical authority saying they don't know. However, when this article goes on, medications are now merged as a major cause of mitochondrial damage, which may explain many adverse effects. All classes of psychotropic drugs have been documented to damage the mitochondria, just as cholesterol-lowering drugs, uh, analgesics such as acetaminophen, and many others. That is frightening. Not just a little frightening, extremely frightening. So does that mean 500 years from now, um, people will not be looking at uh, your body being a defective and constantly being attacked? But do you think 500 years from now that people will be looking at healthy immune system responses? They're going to be looking at the physical, chemical, and emotional stressor. My gosh, that makes sense. So we're literally on the, the shift between an allopathic model, which is control of symptoms with chemicals, and a biolistic model, which is utilizing your body's innate intelligence um, to thrive on the planet. It's almost like living in harmony with the world and living against harmony in the world. Um, the body has an innate intelligence. This is vitalism. Disease occurs when the body's natural ability to heal is interrupted. Vitalism is based on healing, only occurs when the body's healing powers are activated. And this is why we're coming up with the clinics of the future. Think of this. This is like just exactly what you would design. If someone said, look, doc, here's a billion dollars, do whatever you want. Man, I would develop several of these centers around the world. Uh, an eco-friendly village, figure off the grid, growing your own food, uh, having your own electricity, and we can do this. And we're talking off the grid, healthy. Um, then you have every type of diagnostic there. You've got your own lab, holistic dentistry. Uh, you've got ozone therapies, thermal imaging, digital imagery. Uh, you've got extended stay areas for people that have chronic illness or diseases education classes so um, people from all around the surrounding communities can get educated on how their bodies work. Imagine if health education was in first grade, second grade, third grade. They had a health class to teach them how to, how to eat right, how to um, uh, brush their teeth, how to do personal hygiene, how their bodies actually work. So you get a third and fourth grader knowing that his tummy is going to turn that banana an apple into eye tissue and blood cells. I mean, give give that that excitement that kids should have about um, baseball, soccer, sports. But give have that excitement and appreciation for their own body. This is going to be the solution for the autism epidemic, the dementia epidemic, the chronic illness epidemic, because none of these things are epidemic. They're all an adaptation to a toxic and deficient environment. Uh, I mean, think of this, because I'm talking 500 years in the future. Let's go three years in the future. 
Let's go to 2022. What do you think? Okay, so we know this is after the election, so the recession will be in full swing. Of course, there'll be no vaccine exemptions allowed in America except by a public health officer. Uh, you've got 15 adult mandatory vaccines. Uh, you have to have a proof of vaccine um, filing for travel or for tax filing. The childhood vaccine schedule is now up to 84 shots. And there's criminal prosecution for opinions that differ from the official CDC guidelines. And mandatory medication laws were just passed. And this is if you have a diagnosed condition, you must comply with the prescription utilization or fines and imprisonment. Now, you might think, dude, this is Orwell's 1984. This is insane. Well, do you know that they have medication trackers now to make sure that you're taking your pill? And we can look at this one. It came out last week. Um, a federal bill to mandate all shots and eliminate all exemptions. Federal law at the federal level, no longer state. Um, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson uh, pushes her bill, H.R. 2527, to vaccinate all children. Okay, now this includes all of the standard shots, but also any states... Um, uh, if they were denied federal public health grants to states that do not require the entire um, ad advisory committee on immunization practice schedule to attend school, which includes all the standard shots and flu shots, Gardasil, hepatitis A, rotavirus, everything. So uh, it also eliminates all religious, philosophical, or any other exemptions uh, based on personal beliefs. Uh, yeah. This is crazy. And we know the pharmaceutical industry is developing 271 vaccines for a host of other diseases. So wait a second. Think of this. We don't know how the immune system works, but we do know that the immune system allows us to thrive on the planet. Um, we keep perturbing the immune system with multiple, multiple chemicals. We know that medications can alter the immune system, and we know that vaccines can alter it. Well, what does this all have to do with now? Well, currently, we're seeing a massive sickening of the population. So when we're talking about the future of healthcare, think of what will be happening 500 years from now. Do you really think that a baby is going to come out and they're going to be injected with 84 different shots to strengthen their natural immune system? Or do you think that we're going to be taking care of the mother? We're going to be going through natural birth practices. We're not going to be utilizing um, C-sections just to make it convenient for the doctor or parents. Uh, we have half of our population are going to get cancer. One in a uh, five get an autoimmune condition. One in four, 25% of all of us are going to die of heart disease. We have a one in one ratio of dementia. Okay, 12% of thyroid, 54% of our children have a chronic illness or disease, and we have an epidemic of autism. So where's this coming from? I mean, if you look at, and this is Prevention Chronic Disease Journal, published in 2014, multiple chronic conditions in U.S., and this is amazing, half, 117 million U.S. adults have at least one of the 10 chronic conditions. So you're looking at hypertension, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, cancer, failing kidneys, asthma, COPD. 
and there's more than a 30-fold increase from the first studies of autism um, and three to four times higher than boys than girls. So what does the Journal of the American Medical Association have to say to this? Now, they are at the helm. They are the doctors with the cultural authority. Well, they wrote an article back in 1999, and they said, we are leaving the age of pestilence and famine in which mortality pattern was dominated by high rates of infectious disease and deaths, especially in the young, to the current age of degeneration and man-made diseases. Wow. That's scary. So now, and it's interesting, in the United States, death due to infectious diseases has increased 58% from 1980 to 1992. So we're seeing that infectious diseases is, is coming back. So what's the causes of this interruption in our immune system function? Well, I'll tell you. Endocrine disruptors, and this is chemicals that are found in our food system. Medications, we know that those can damage mitochondria and how your body responds to the environment. We know vaccinations can cause inflammatory response and lead to a number of different problems. Toxins in our food, toxins in our environment. Uh, I mean, Harvard University did a, a research paper in 2004. Quote, our results also suggest that clean water was responsible for 74% of the decline in infant mortality and 62% decline in child mortality. The magnitude of these effects is striking. Clean water also appeared to have led the near eradication of typhoid and other scourges such as pneumonia, tuberculosis, meningitis, and diphtheria. Amazing. So it turns out that clean water and diet are good for you. Duh. I mean, when we look at this, even the, the British Medical Journal, they're saying that public health leaders have long resisted compulsory vaccination on the ground that it undermines the trust between public health care uh, professionals, and it's ultimately counterproductive. In 2015, a U.S. Federal Advisory Committee warned that public confidence in vaccines cannot be taken for granted, that some prominent vaccine advocacy organizations are pushing for greater compulsion. But are these groups um, presenting themselves as reliable sources of information or providing the public with independent information. I mean, that's, that's powerful. When we look at uh, how, what informed consent is. Now, informed consent is, is, according to Medline, and this is the National Institute of Health.gov, uh, what's informed consent? You have the right to, to help decide what medical care is best for you. By law, your health care providers must explain your health condition and treatment choices to you. Most vaccines require informed consent. <laughs> I mean, we can look at the, 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 the insanity. If you look at the journals of the Royal Society of Biologic Sciences, now this was published back in 2010, uh, the title of the article is Acellular Pertussis Vaccination Facilitates Bordetella Pertussis Infection in a Rodent Model. Quote, despite over 50 years of a population-wide vaccination, a whooping cough incidence is on the rise. It shows that, uh, that an acellular pertussis vaccine helped clear up B pertussis, resulting in a 40-fold increase of B. parapertussis lung infection 
forming colony units. Vaccine-mediated facilitation of B. paraprotesis. That means that <laughs> you get the vaccine, it predisposes you to other injuries or other diseases. Uh, we know that the Journal of Autoimmunity, diabetes, lupus, scleroderma, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, chronic fatigue syndrome, autism, all of these are linked to it. We know that people with chronic conditions, their cost is skyrocketing, um, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association. When we look at um, vaccines and autoimmunities, um, again, they're saying the Advisory Committee on Immunizations Practices and CDC concluded three years later that a causal relationship exists between arthritis and two vaccination combinations, um, diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, measles, mumps, and rubella, that after three years of a shot, that this can cause a negative effect in the body. They know that in 1993, um, clinical history and laboratory results declared a causal relationship between oral polio vaccine and transverse myelitis. I mean, these are not... Um, small things. It's study after study that shows that there is damage. So let's let's just go back. Okay, let's go back in time. And I came came across this article of the American Journal of Public Health, 2013. And the title of the article was "Measles Vaccination uh, Before the MMR Vaccine." And this was written in 2013. But they go back before. Um, and, and to see what the society was like. Uh, and by the early 1960s, the epidemiology of measles was well understood. It was known that the disease occurred throughout the world, generally in regular periodic cycles. With the exception of some isolated population groups, almost all children contracted measles before they reached adolescence. By 1960, thanks to the use of antibiotics and improved living conditions, measles mortality was declining steadily in industrialized countries. For example, in the UK, deaths from measles fell from 307 in 1949 to 98 in 1959. Quote, parents largely came to see measles as an unpleasant, although more or less inevitable part of childhood. Many primary care physicians shared the same view. Um, and it's interesting because they go on to describe how they started to develop it. Um, but any decision to begin mass measles vaccination in the early 1960s, they had numerous uncertainties. Now, the, and again, this is going back to 1960. They had questions like, was the disease serious enough? Would parents feel it worth having their children vaccinated? Um, the availability of potent and effective measles vaccines, which um, would have been tested extensively uh, over the past four years, provides a basis for eradications of measles in any community and raise its immune thresholds to ready attainable levels. Effective use of these vaccines during the coming winter and spring should ensure eradication of measles in the United States by 1967. So think of this. They developed the vaccine in the early 60s, but they thought massively vaccinating everyone, um, you'll wipe it out in about five years. 
So what happened? 15 million kids were given one of the new measles vaccines starting from their licensure in 1963 and continuing through 1966. The incidence of the disease fell by half. Um, Alexander uh, Langmuir, chief epidemiologist of the CDC, from 1949 to 1970, what did he say? Uh, to those who ask me, why do you wish to eradicate measles? I reply with the same thing Hillary said um, when he, uh, why he wished to climb Mount Everest, because it's there. To this be added, and because it can be done. Uh, you know, so it wasn't a big deal, okay? It was hard to to um, convince the public to get the measles shot. I mean, the, an editor in the British Medical Journal in 1962 warned, there is a real danger that the general public may become wary of the ever-increasing number of immunization injections which are being urged upon their children. That's 1962. Measles is often regarded as a normal part of childhood development, and through this misguided um, parents, may not easily be persuaded to depart from it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, we're, we're seeing this now. Um, <clears throat> uh, it, and again, this article goes on to state, and just think of it, man, back in 1960, there was a fear that was that introducing a vaccine, most parents didn't see the need that it could undermine popular confidence. Those are quotes from 1960s. We know uh, that in 1993, the Journal of the American Medical Association said, look, if you just give vitamin A, you can have a 60% reduction of deaths overall and a 90% reduction among infants. It, it's crazy. We know that if you do vaccinate, 5% of the MMR um, recipients who get that vaccine develop a vaccine rash and fever, which is indistinguishable from measles. <clears throat> Luckily, there is some people with common sense, and this is out of the Journal of Vaccine, May 2015, um, and they're talking about how a, a successful strategy for policymakers and others hoping to increase vaccination rates um, is to design a choice architecture that influences behavior of healthcare professionals without foreclosing other options. Nudges to incentivize vaccines um, uh, to help better align vaccination intentions with near-term actions. God, that makes sense. So, so literally, allowing choice, that, God, that makes sense. Why don't we give choice back to people? I mean, <laughs> Um, well, if you've ever heard of shaken baby syndrome, or is it vaccine-induced encephalitis? Um, a brilliant article by Harold E. Bertram from fall 2001. Okay, let's go back to the health of the future. We know that our interventions, medication, and vaccines are getting to the extreme, and they're getting so extreme that they're being mandated beyond your own, your own uh, ability to choose. Let's take a 33-year-old musician. Okay, young gal, reverse curve in the neck, abnormal bowel gas, neck pain, headaches, digestive problems, sleep issues, 
So what are we looking at? We're looking at an extremely stressed state. Now, the doctor of the future, will they vaccinate her? Will they medicate her? Will they shoot her with medications? Or will they find how her body is expressing her life? Um, is her body under physical, chemical, or emotional stress? Will they go at the cause or just continually cover up the symptoms? Now, the clinic of the future will utilize diagnostic criteria, objective diagnostic criteria. Currently, we're using x-rays. Been used over 100 years. Heart rate variability, that's been used around 40 to 50 years. Live blood cell analysis, decades. Balance, range of motion, thermography, all of these tests that we can do today, that we do move, do today. How about asking the correct questions? What about bowel movements, sleep patterns, medication use, trauma history? I just had a patient who um, is 60 years old, had a reverse curve in the neck, and they're saying, oh, we never had trauma. Yes, you did have trauma. God doesn't. God either built you completely defective or you had some type of significant trauma. So look at what we know now. What we know now is that your nervous system controls and coordinates every function of the body. We know that your body is self-healing and self-regulating. We know that you're designed by an intelligence, okay, that there's a brilliance inside of you. Work within the parameters of your design, and you will experience a full expression of life. The cure for the common cold is actually the common cold. That's right. You go through that you are an animal species on this planet. How do we take care of animal species the best? Put them in their natural environment, give them what they're designed to thrive on, and let them run around and play, and they'll live a full good life. Hence, that's the plan for human beings. It seems too easy. But tonight, we're going to have all of this detailed out on Facebook, and next week it will be on YouTube, and you'll see the references. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you, and I love you.